Masechet Sota Daf Yod Bet. We're talking about the Midah Keneged Midah. Not only is for bad, for punishment, but also for good. And for good, it's even multiple times more reward than the original Misvah. And the example the Mishnah brought for this was Midiam, uh, who waited upon Moshe for a short time, and then Benesel waited for her when she had set out for seven days. And so within this context, we're talking about a whole series of Midrashim, about Midiam, and about all of Yisrael Misraim, just in time for Pesach. So we're in the middle of this Midrash on Kalev, Ben Chesron, Olidet Azuba Isha Ve'et Yediot. And we mentioned how all of the genealogies in Divrei Amim uh, seem like they're irrelevant because who are all these people and why do we need to know all their names? And therefore the Midrash explains that actually the names of the people are not actual names but rather symbolic characteristics of people that we do know. And so this pasuk about Kaleb ben Chesron um, who gave birth to Azubah, his wife, uh, this is Azubah, is actually a reference to Miriam who Kaleb married um, and also Yiriot is another name for Miriam. Um, and the Baneha are not actually the children that they had, but rather these are various character traits of Kalev himself. Um, okay, so we were up to this where we mentioned that Azuva, Miriam, everybody abandoned her because she wasn't so pretty. Um, uh, but then uh, Kalev says, I'm going to marry her, Lashem Shamayim. And anyone who marries someone, Lashem Shamayim, it's as if he gave her new life and uh, as if he gave birth to her. Oh, so now we're up to Yiriot. Another nickname for Miriam is Yiriot, curtains. Shehayu Domin Liriot, because she was so pallid, so pale, like undyed curtains. That's what her face looked like. Ve'ele baneha, altikre baneha, ela boneha. So when it says baneha, don't read that means literally children, but rather the builders, right? The builders of uh, Miriam, uh, who was Kalev. Kalev built her up. And so these are actually characteristics of Kalev. Yesher, sheyesher et asmo. He was called Yesher because he made himself straight. He followed the straight path and not the crooked path of the other spies who said that we can't go into the land. Shobab sheshibebet Yisro. His name was Shobab because he broke his evil inclination, uh, which was to follow the rest of the spies, and he went on his own and did the right thing. Ve'ardon sherada et Yisro. He's also called Ardon because he ruled over his evil inclination. He says, I'm not going to give in to that temptation and say we can't do it. I'm going to have faith and I'm going to inspire the people with faith. Yeah, yes, the land is good and we can go in and conquer it. And others say, it's actually a, a description of Midiam, that her, her face was beautiful like a rose. In other words, she had a, a makeover, and she became beautiful, as we're going to see, like a rose. There's another pasuk in Devarimim, separate from the one that we just saw, but the Midrash says this is also talking about Kalev. Why is his name Ashur? Ashur is a Kaleb. Because his face darkened, like Shachor, from fasting a lot so that he would not follow the um, evil uh, uh, trap of the other spies. Avish, and so he would keep, keep, keep uh, doing the right thing, he had to fast. Avish and Asa la ke'av. He's called Avi because he was like a father to Miriam, as we said before. Tekoa shetakat libo laviv sheba shamayim. Tekoa, he attached his heart to his father in heaven and, um, and made sure to keep faith. Hayu shete nashim. The pasuk goes on to say that he had two wives, Chela and Na'ara. So we don't know of any other wife. Rather, both of these wives are talking about Miriam. Nasa Miriam kishte nashim. Miriam was like two wives. How so? What it means that like holy. At first she was sick. Uh, she had uh, sarat. She she looked sickly. She was pale. But then in the end she became naara, uh, like young and healthy. Um, and uh, um, after she got better. Uh, so the very next pasuk after that one, that, uh, the, no, two pasukim later, and it says further that uh, the children of Chela were Seret Sohar and Etnan. What does that mean? Seret Shanasit Sarah These are not uh, literal children, but rather descriptions of Miriam. She's called Seret 
like Sarah, she became a rival to her friends. At first, when she was uh, not so pretty, so her friends didn't pay attention to her. But then, when she became attractive, her friends were all jealous of her and said, Oh, why does she get, why does she get to be so beautiful? She was so beautiful that her face, her, her, her face shone, uh, shined like the sun at noon. Etnan, shekol olich etnan, leishto etnan, uh, this is uh, the, the usual word, meaning of this word, is a, 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 a payment one gives to a zona. So how's that a good thing? So here the rabbis figure out how it is a good thing, that anyone who saw her was attracted and aroused, and then they would go give a present, a gift to their wife, to, so that entice their wives, so that they um, would, uh, the, uh, all the husbands can, would be with their wives. Vaisav paro lechol amo. Amar af al amo gazar. Okay, so now back to the derashot on the pesukim um, from the beginning of Shemot. Uh, it says paro um, commanded all his people. Um, so in Peshat, it means that he commanded all his people that if they see any Hebrew boy, they should throw him into the river. But the rabbis are midrashically taking this that vaisav paro, paro commanded a decree against all of his people. Um, and that's what Yosef Rebbe Hanina says. He even made a decree against his own people, as we'll explain. Actually, three stages in the evil decrees. The first level uh, was to the, to the midwives only. But that didn't work because the midwives feared God and did not kill the boys. The second step was that uh, he told he said, uh, uh, anyone who sees any Hebrew boy has to throw him into the Nile. Uh, but that also didn't work, right? Not everybody was doing it. So, so in the end, just to make sure that every single Hebrew boy would be thrown into the Nile, he actually made a decree against every boy, even Egyptian boys, right? Which is quite silly because then he's, um, he's uh, harming his own people. So he's, he'd rather right, right, uh, smash his face to spite his nose, cut off his nose to spite his face, um, uh, which makes no sense, um, but it's kind of making fun of Pada'a. Uh, truth is, this is a historical precedent because you see so many times when uh, people make uh, different nations, make anti-Semitic decrees, and ends up hurting their own nation. When the Jews kick out the, the Jews from Spain, the whole economy goes down. Uh, Hitler, Yemach Shemo, he decreed against uh, Jews, but he counted even someone who was a quarter Jewish, even someone who didn't know that they were Jewish, right? It was a surprise to them. So he killed really people who were just regular German Christians, um, killed them also. And in the end, he lost the war because if he kept the Jews in, in, the, in, the, in Germany, he probably would have gotten the nuclear bomb first. And so, like Pada, they not only are they evil, uh, but they're also foolish. So then, it says, a, uh, a man from the house of Levi, um, married a Levite woman. Um, so where did he go? So David says that he followed the advice of his daughter, Miriam. Uh, as the famous Midrash goes, Tana Amram Gedol Hador Hayah. The father of Moshe Amram was the greatest of a generation. Everybody respected him. When he heard the decree of Paro, that any child, any boy, you throw into, you should throw into the Nile. He says, well, we, we are laboring for nothing. We're going to bring children into the world and then they're going to be thrown, uh, uh, you know, thrown into the Nile. You can imagine the, the anguish, the suffering of the mother, of the father, right? So better not to have children at all. And so he went and he separated from his wife. Because he was the Gadol Ador, everybody followed suit and they also all divorced their wives. But his daughter, Miriam, who was uh, just a, a small child at the time, realized that this is a mistake and said, Father, your decree is worse than Paro's. Paro only affects the, the boy babies, but your decree means that we will not have children at all, not boys and not girls. Yours is worse. Paro only, his decree only guarantees that these babies will not, these boys will not have a life in this world. 
but they'll have the world to come. But you will ensure that they don't have that, this world, and not the world to come. Because if they're not born at all, then they won't even have, be granted world to come. But Paro makes a decree. Maybe it will be fulfilled, maybe not. Some people will follow it. Not everybody's going to follow it, right? Even in uh, evil times, there's people that uh, hid the Jews um, and, and, and protected them. And so, right, uh, as and, and with Moshe, it was not fulfilled. So, right, there's ways to get around it, and maybe it will be, maybe it won't be fulfilled. Um, but you, because you are a Sadiq, whatever you say will definitely be fulfilled. Everybody looks up to you as a Gadol Hador. And so all, everyone's going to separate from their wives and not have children. And we learn this from Pasuk in the Yob. This is Yob's friend saying to him, you know, Yob, you are well respected. And when you make a decree, it's established, right? And, and what, what you say goes. Um, this uh, applies to Nevi'im also, right? Nevi'im say something, and uh, Hashem follows what the Navi says, like we see with many uh, Nevi'im, like uh, Eliyahu. So So the father saw the wisdom of his young uh, daughter, and he uh, uh, and he uh, brought his wife back, and everybody followed suit, and they also remarried their wives, and then had children. So then, uh, so it says that which is kicha means married, but it shouldn't say married. It should say returned, right? Remarried. Why is it saying married as if it's the, the first time married? So this teaches us that they did a whole wedding, right? Um, and they even um, had the bride um, going up as Yochevet, going in Apidion, in uh, a palanquin, like this here in these pictures, right? When everybody would hold them up, maybe this is the, 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 the source of the custom, it's a Hasidic custom, to lift up the bride and the groom on chairs and hold them up. All right, so they did that, meaning they did a full wedding, right, with a, uh, with a band, um, with the hall, with the caterer, they didn't hold back just because it was a remarriage, a second wedding. And, and, and Miriam, who were already born, were dancing in front of their parents who were getting remarried. And uh, the angel said, oh, see, this is M. Habanim. The mother with her children is joyful. All right, uh, we know this is from Halel, so it's uh, referring right after this, Beset Yisrael, Mimitzrayim. So uh, this is the way the rabbis in Midrash, they take snippets of Pesukim from different places that could be appropriate and they weave it into the narrative. And this is how, this is why the mother was happy with her children because she was getting married and the children remarried and the children were already there. So here we see the Yochevet is the daughter of Levi. Um, in Peshat, it could simply mean that she is from the Levi family. Um, but we're interpreting that she was actually a daughter of Levi himself. Now, how old would she have to be? Well, B'nai Israel were in Egypt, for, according to the calculation of the ages and, and uh, of the people mentioned in Shemot Vav, 210 years old together. And we know Moshe... Um, was standing before Paro, and it says he was 80 years old. So that me that leaves 130, right? 210 minus 80 is 130. So that means when Moshe was born, Yocheved was 130 years old, assuming that Yocheved was born at the beginning of the slavery, uh, at the beginning of the entrance to Egypt. So Efshah, how could how could Yocheved be 130 years old, and she's called Bat? Right? Batlevi, like she's a child? Why would you call her a child if she's 130 years old? Now we're going to prove that Yochebed was born at the same day that they entered Egypt, with the, the start of the count for 210. Okay, this is derived from the fact that when it counts all the people that came down to Egypt, right, it says 70, but 69 names. Within Le'ah, it says uh, that there were 33 descendants from Le'ah. If you count the names, there's only 32 people mentioned. So that means that there were 32 people that left Eris Canaan and went on the journey, but 33 arrived in Egypt. How could that be? It means that one was born uh, between the gates. There were double gates, right? Like now when you have security gates, right? You have to go through one door and it locks and you go through the other door. Ancient gates also were very thick. 
um, uh, for protection. And so she was born right, but right as uh, right as they entered Egypt. That's why she was not counted um, among those who left as Canaan, but she was uh, counted among those who arrived in Mitzrayim. And that's what the pasuk says. Actually, well, she was born. Um, uh, she, uh, Yocheved, was born in Egypt, right, when they got to Egypt. Okay, all that is part of the question is if she was born on day one, on year one, and that means she was 130 when she gave birth to Moshe. So you call that, that's when she remarried. Um, so you call that bat, a, a child? And the answer is, um, So we learn from here that her birth was in Egypt, but her conception was not in Egypt. This is part of the previous, right? Yes, they gave, her parents gave birth to her in Egypt, but only gave birth to her in Egypt. Her uh, conception was already, was not in Egypt. Her conception was before. That's how we learned that it was exactly on that day. Okay, so what's the answer to the question? The answer is, even when she was 130 years old, um, she became like a young woman again, and therefore able to conceive and have a child. Right, so this is similar to the uh, miracle of Sarah, having a child in old age, applies here also, right? It would seem to be, that uh, passed her time, uh, but miraculously she had a child, Moshe. So now um, Yocheved uh, um, conceives and gives birth. Hold on, but she uh, was already pregnant for three months. Gemara's here assuming it's a Midrash that's going to come up in a minute, that um, she was already pregnant with Moshe before she got remarried, right? So from the the original time that the parents were married, she became pregnant, then they separated, um, and then they got remarried within three months. So at the time that they remarried, she was already three months pregnant. So based on that, the question is, why does it say that now, after they got remarried, she conceived and had a child, if she already conceived three months before their second wedding? We learn from here that uh, her, her her birth was like her was like the conception, just like the conception. Uh, she was not without was without pain. So to the birth, she did not feel any pain. We learn from here that righteous women are not included in the verdict of hava, the verdict that. Um, you're going to have pain during childbirth, but women who are righteous are excluded from that. So that's why it says, even though really she was already pregnant from before, and she only gave birth after the marriage, um, but it still says to teach, to teach us that, that birth was um, as pain-free as the vatahar was. And as the baby Moshe is born, she looks at him and says, oh, okay, this is a good child. And the question is, well, what's so good about the child? I mean, you know, what did it do? You know, if someone grows, kids grows up and you see, you know, he's a good kid, right? He's smart, he does his good midot. But what is the little baby, uh, what, what does that mean, kitovhu? Tanya arabi me'iromer tov shemo. Oh, his name was tov. This is interesting because um, Moshe, his, the name Moshe is given to him by bat paro later on. But, uh, but don't we assume that the mother would give him a name when, when the kid was born? The parents by both would give him a name. So what was, what was the name that he was given by his own birth parents? And the answer is, she saw him and it's Tov. Tov who? No, oh, this is Tov. So that was his name. This is closely similar to that. Tov who is Toviya. Maybe he wanted, because Tov is not a real name. Toviya is a common name. So it makes sense. His name, since he was good, so his name was Toviya. Um, another opinion says, Tovu means that she saw he had a, a special quality, he had potential to be a prophet. She could tell already from this time he was, he was born. Um, like, like Yirmiya, right? Others say, uh, what was he good about him? He was pre-circumcised. This is a character of a great tzaddikim that they don't need circumcision. Um, they are born already um, circumcised. Hachamim omerim Moshe kulo or others say the, the sages say that when the at the time that Moshe was born, the whole house was full became full of light. 
glowed. Ketiv achav atedot kitov uchtiv atam vayad elimet ha'or kitov. It says the same phrase in both places, which is a very good uh, insight um, because it does say kitov in both places. And uh, this is probably a literary illusion. The uh, beginning of Bereshit and the beginning of Shemot both start off with uh, with uh, this uh, with this phrase to say that there's a parallel between the creation of the world with light and that was good and the creation of the nation, the beginning of the nation with Moshe being the that was going to redeem them. That was also Kitab. So um, uh, this is a fantastic parallel. So they were able to hide baby Moshe for three months because the Egyptians counted nine months. They knew that there was a wedding. After all, they made a big wedding with the band and everything and, the, uh, and carrying, carrying the bride on the, on the litter. So the Egyptians figured, oh, we'll come back in nine months and then we'll see, uh, they, they will look for the baby. So, uh, they didn't know that she was already pregnant for three months. Um, and, um, and so, uh, so, so they, so they were able to hide the child for three months. She was three months pregnant already. So the, the Gemara before was referring to this Midrash here. Okay, probably they couldn't wait any longer because once she's three months, three months, three months pregnant, she's going to start showing. So that's why they had to get married immediately, but it was a good way to throw off the, um, the Egyptians who wouldn't come uh, immediately after nine months. Okay, and the question is now, why couldn't they hide the baby longer, right? So uh, you know, hide, hide the baby in a, in a different room, in the basement somewhere. So go ahead and hide him longer. So what? So they'll come in uh, after, after nine months from the wedding. So still hide him. Right? Um, so they, what would the Egyptians do? They, anywhere that they heard that a baby was born, so in order to hide them, they would bring their own babies, Egyptian babies, and they would make the babies cry. They, they'd pinch the babies or something, and so the Egyptian babies would cry. Now, when a baby hears other babies crying, what do they do? They cry also. And so that would prompt the, the Hebrew babies to cry. And even if they were hiding in the closet or wherever they were hiding, they would start crying. And that's how they would be found. And this is based on Basuk from Shira Shirim, right? Shu'alim Ketanim. Shu'alim, foxes who are like, uh, you know, uh, crafty. Um, they're destroying the vineyards. The vineyards are the babies who are, who are, who are growing, right? They're in blossom. And now they're spoiling our vineyards. They're spoiling the future by hiding, by finding the babies using this trick. And now the mother takes the, uh, makes a, an ark out of bulrushes. It's a cheap, uh, material. Why'd she bring, why'd she use that? I'm going to use, uh, you know, wood or something. says, we learn from here that for Sadiqim, their money is more beloved to them than their own bodies or their own lives. Um, so you, you, you see that here because she was willing to uh, be cheap and, and use, uh, uh, use cheap material even though we're talking about saving the baby, right? And uh, so you think that if you're saving the baby, you'd use the uh, most expensive material. But no, for Sadiqim, their money is valuable, more valuable. That is surprising because usually this is a bad trait for someone to have be more materialistic and care more about their money than their lives. Right? We say, Why do you have to say you have to serve Hashem with all of your money if you already said with all of your lives? Because there are some people out there for their money is more important to them to, for, than, than their lives. Right? The stock market goes down, they jump out the window. Why are you jumping out the window? So you lost money. Makes sense to kill yourself? Yeah, for people who have, uh, who have uh, their, their priorities wrong, um, that's what they think. So it's surprising here that they're attributing this to Sadiqim as a positive value, but explains why. Because they don't steal. Uh, when someone earns their money, uh, you know, working hard, honestly, um, then they don't want to spend on anything that they don't have to. So the idea here is that the bulrushes were sufficient, that it's not going to sink. It's not that they, uh, you know, be no point in buying cheap material. It's not going to work. 
but they bought the cheapest material that would still do the do the do the job and uh, and have a nice uh, a nice little arc for baby Moshe and uh, no point in overspending for no reason because um, you should never waste money. Rabbi Shimon ben Nachman Yamar, Davar Rach sheachol amod mipne, Davar Rach mipne, Davar Kashe. So Ben Nachman says a different, a better reason why to use bulrush. Bulrush, even though it's cheap, is actually very good because it's soft. And if you make a something out of a mass, something out of so, soft, then it will stand before both something soft and something hard. If the ark would uh, bump into a rock, if it was made out of hard material, a uh, wood, then it might break. But if it's made out of something soft, like bulrush, then it'll just bounce off and it will not be harmed. So that's why she chose um, bulrushes. It is unusual that the Pesukim go through all so much detail to say how the mother made the ark and what exactly she used and as she put bitumen um, and, and pitch Right? Wasn't was, why? Why does it have to say all these things? In Peshat, you could say they see how, how much the mother cared and really had faith and hope. Because if you don't have hope and you say, "Oh, she's gonna, he's gonna die anyway," then you might not bother. But you know, the mother really uh, took care, um, special care, to make sure that this would be a seaworthy little ark. And so why, so why both of these types of material? Ochemar put inside, but the tar outside, because tar is smelly. And the mother didn't want this little baby Sadiq to have to smell the foul odor of tar, and so put the tar on the outside. Vatasem yeled, vatasem basuf, and she places the child in the ark and place the, they place the ark in the suf. Now, where is the suf? Two opinions. One opinion says Yamsuf, the Red Sea, which is a, a sea. It's a, with with waves and current and alligators and rocks. Um, this is the source for the Prince of Egypt movie, where you see the ark going up and down and almost drowning in alligators. Right, very scary. But the other opinion says no, it doesn't say Yamsuf. Suf just means by the reeds. Um, in, in other words, in an outlet of the of the Nile where it was calm and put, placed them there carefully. Probably the Yocheved uh, the, um, uh, the knew that this is a place where Bat Paro goes uh, every day regularly to wash. And so put him there on purpose in a safe place where there's no waves, no alligators. And hopefully Bat Paro, right, maybe there's some small chance that Bat Paro will have mercy. Small, right, but at least possible. Okay, which sounds like this is the Peshat, that you didn't put him, put him in the middle of the Nile where he was likely to drown. Okay. Pashat reading is that she went to wash. Just, you know, because she was dirty, she went to wash. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, no, it teaches that she went for a spiritual wash, like a mikveh. Uh, she went to wash off the filth of Avodah Zarah of her father. As it says in different contexts in Yeshaya, Imrachas Hashem, that Hashem will, will wash off the filth of Benotzion. It's not talking about physics, not, they, didn't have, they didn't have mud on them, but rather the, um, the, uh, the filth of sin. Uh, like today, a lot of people go to the mikveh um, not to be clean, or not even for, like men go, not necessarily for um, ritual purity, but rather a spiritual renewal, teshuvah. So that's also she went. You could also say that she made, she made, uh, she became a convert here. But you don't have to say that. The point is that she had already um, abandoned the idolatrous ways of her father's house. And she had maidens walking with her. So the word not always, but here it means to die. We see that with Esav when uh, Yaakov offers him the stew, he says, "Ah, I'm going to die anyway, so I may as well sell it." And here also it means that the maidens were walking. Doesn't mean walking. It means they were going to their deaths. Why? How so? So 
So the maidens, why were they deserving of death? As follows. So um, Abat Paro sees the Teva and she is going to save it. And her maidens see her that she's going to save see that she's going to save it. So the maidens are giving her advice. And um, they said, listen, our, 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 our mistress, um, the way of the world, if a regular king uh, makes a decree, even if the whole rest of the world are, are, are um, ignoring the decree, you'd expect the children um, and the household of the king to fulfill the decree. Right? You're the daughter of Paro. Even if everybody else ignores it, you can't ignore it. You can't save this child. Okay, the maidens are actually giving her logical advice. Don't go, don't go against your father. You'll be in big trouble. But so now, if they um, if they continued that way, they would be convincing, and they would convince Bat Paro not to say baby Moshe. And that would be the end of the redemption. So Ba Gabriel Chabatan Bekarkaz Gabriel came and beat the maidens and killed them. All right, takes care of that problem. The famous machloket that Rashi brings. Um, uh, that she sent her ama. Okay, uh, in a simple pishat, ama means a maidservant. That she even says that this, uh, that's the pishuto shamikra. That ama means she sent her maidservant. It just mentioned that she had maidservants, so it makes sense. She would send one of her maidservants to go down um, uh, because she's a princess. She wouldn't do it herself. Uh, we have two opinions here. Um, one says no, ama means her hand. Right. In fact, the word ama can mean an arm. Our other said it means her handmaid. Even in English, the word hand can mean a physical hand or it can mean a handmaid, a servant. So one opinion says, um, uh, 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 the one opinion says yada. Well, of course, it says ama. And ama and yada are synonyms. You could say hand, you could say arm. It's the same thing. And the one that one said shifchata, well, it doesn't say hand. That would be the more usual term. She sent her hand. And so because it uses um, um, a, a rarer term for hand, uh, you don't usually say uh, ama. So ama, the more, uh, the more common use of ama is to mean servant. Okay. If you say that it was a shivcha, wait a second, the, the Mizrash just previously said Gabriel came and killed all the maidens, beat them to the ground, and they died. So what, what, who did she send? The answer is, No, Gabriel left one alive because, after all, she's a princess. A princess doesn't go uh, travel alone, so she needs at least one. So maybe there was one nice princess that uh, was trustworthy. Well, uh, one nice maidservant who she could trust. The one who says it was hand, so right hand, right? Why are you using an unusual word? Ama. And the answer is, and the answer is what well, doesn't say yada, but rather ama, rather than hand, it uses arm, because uh, the arm extended, right, and, um, uh, and, and uh, went very far. Um, and as uh, the master said, this is in a different context regarding Esther, right? It says when Esther presented herself before the king, he stretched out his staff, right? The staff stretched out towards her, indicating that he said, yes, you can come in. And so in that Midrash makes reference to this context and says, and so too regarding the arm of Bat Paro, that is stretched out and was able to reach far, um, uh, and uh, get the and the uh, the ark. Another place where there was a miraculous miraculous stretching. The context here is Og Melech Bashan. He lifted up a giant mountain and he was going to throw it on Bnei Israel. Miraculously, as he had the mountain up over his head, um, ants came and they bore a hole in it, made it like a donut, and then it fell onto his neck. And he was trying to get it off, and just then his teeth, his front teeth, um, extended down and locked in the mountain on his head in place so he couldn't get it off. Okay, so over there it says Shibarta, even though it says the teeth of Rishaim are broken, don't read Shibarta, but rather Sheribabta, that you extended and made long. And so in all these contexts, something miraculously becomes long, and that's what this Ama, that's why it says Ama. Ama is a measurement, and it's longer than just a hand. Her hand became longer like an Ama. Okay, I think the point of this Midrash is that 
um, uh, to, is to say, yeah, if you say Peshat, she sent her maidservant, so then she wasn't so involved. You want to show how enthusiastic that when you want to do something, you do it personally when you really want it to happen. So she went and extended herself, right? doesn't have to be literally, but rather um, psychologically, emotionally, she extended herself away from what everyone would expect as Paro's daughter and went out on a limb and uh, risked, her, risked her own life and uh, um, went herself enthusiastically to save the ark. Okay. She says that she opened um, and batarehu etayelid. Um, it says an extra pronoun. She saw him, the child. It could have just said vatere etayelid. What's the extra one? She saw that the Shekhinah was with the baby. Where do you see that? Right, the He and the Vav there are the letters of Hashem's name. So she saw Shekhinah with the child. She saw there was something special about this child. And so she, that prompted her to save it. It says a nod. What do you mean? He's a three-month-old baby. Why are you calling him uh, a young man, uh, a lad? It sounds like he would be, uh, you know, 12 years old, uh, crying. Buddha says, even though he was an infant, his voice was sounded like um, like a young child. He had a very loud voice, a deep, uh, deep voice, like a, a loud cry. Um, and maybe his point was that this cry was so loud to, uh, so he, they would draw attention and uh, someone would save him. But he had a, a deep voice and unusual, even as a baby, he had a, a voice of a 12 year old. Then you're making, um, making Moshe Rabbeinu have a blemish. The law is that, especially for a Levi, and if a Levi has a bad voice, then he can't be on the choir in the Beit HaMikdash. I have to go be a, you know, a guard outside. So you're making him, a, this is a negative thing you're saying about him. Rather, the mother treated him like a nod in that she made a small chupa inside the teva. She said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably never going to see his wedding canopy. So she made a little tiny wedding canopy inside the ark. So at least she'll see him under the canopy before he, uh, before he perishes. Uh, in fact, she never did see his wedding because he got married uh, in Midian. She he had a destination wedding and the, his mother didn't make it there. So anyway, that's why it means Na'ar, um, that he was both a baby and already under a marriage chupat, like a Na'ar. She so says she had compassion and she said, this is one of the children of the Hebrews. This is. Um, so had she known that this is a Hebrew child, um, um, remember before we said that the decree, the final decree, was that all children, all boys, even Egyptians, should be thrown in the Nile. So had she known that this was, um, so everybody would want to maybe save their baby and put them in a little teva. Uh, so had she known that, know that this was a Hebrew, she saw that it was circumcised. The parents, the parents circumcised Moshe already, that's how she knew it was a Hebrew child. Ze, um, so it says, why does it have the extra word ze? Could have just said, What do you mean ze? Which sounds like it excludes others, only this child. She was like a prophetess, even though she didn't know she was a prophetess, like a, almost like a Freudian slip. She says something true, even though she didn't realize it that this will fall, meaning be put into the water, and this is the last one. No more. Right? But Moshe was the last baby. After Moshe was put in the water, then the decree stopped because the astrologers were check, kept checking up in the stars, and, um, and uh, they, they saw that as soon as Moshe was put into the water, then the astrological sign stopped. Right? Even though he didn't drown, he was put into the water. That was sufficient for the astrologers to think that Oh, the baby was drowned, and therefore they can stop the decree. So Zeh means all Moshe was the last to be um, the the last uh, baby for the to, to whom the decree applied. Maghim 
And this um, uh, explains what Abiy al-Azan said regarding the Pasuk in Yeshaya. Um, they said necromancers and diviners, they chirp and they mutter, meaning they speak, they say things, but when the astrologers speak, they say things, they see things, but they don't know what they're seeing. They speak and they don't know what they're speaking. They speak nonsense. In other words, the astrologers, there's something to it, right? There's some science behind it. The problem is you can't trust them because they don't know how to interpret properly what they see. And so they say words, but you can't really understand what the words mean until after they happen anyway. Um, so I think the rabbis, uh, in part here, are um, trying to discourage people from going to astrologers, right? Um, and a mom says that astrology is nonsense. But most people thought that astrology is the science of the time. They thought there's something to it. Nevertheless, even if the astrologers are seeing something, they don't know how to tell you the correct interpretation. They're going to give you the opposite, wrong interpretation, and you'll end up getting bad advice. So don't go to them. It's also prohibited. So the astrologers saw that the Savior of Israel um, is going to be stricken by water. Right? We can get him, they're vulnerable by water, like we said before, right? They thought that God of Israel is not going to destroy people by water. So here also, they said, we can get the future Savior in water. So they said, well, how are we going to strike down this future Savior in water? Oh, we're going to say every boy that's born, we're going to throw him into the river. This might also explain the Midrash before that said they applied the decree not only to Egyptian, to Hebrew babies, but also to Egyptian babies. Uh, there's another Midrash Tantchuma that said the astrologers weren't sure if the Savior was going to be a Hebrew or an Egyptian. Because in fact, Moshe was Hebrew, but he was brought up in the palace. So he is in some way adopted by an Egyptian mother. So he was kind of both. So, so since they couldn't interpret it correctly, they said, you know what? Let's send all the babies into the river. That's another example of they know, they see something, but they can't interpret correctly what they're seeing, and that ends up being harming the Egyptians themselves. Okay, anyway, once they took baby Moshe, and he was placed in the water, even though he was placed and saved, but they didn't see the sign anymore, so they said, okay, we can uh, stop the decree. But what they didn't realize is that the, 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 the uh, astro astrological sign really meant that Moshe was going to be stricken by the waters of Meribah, where when Moshe hit the rock and yelled at the people, and then he was punished. Um, at that point, that's what it was talking about. Um, so now we understand the Pasuk when it says at the end of the Meribah incident, it says, that is Meribah. That meaning like, oh, something that we knew about already, right? Why, what does it mean? That, oh, this is what we were talking about the whole time. Oh, we, now we understand this Pasuk that this is what the astrologers of Parah were talking about. After Memeribah happened and Moshe is punished, they said, now we understand, we look back, when, Paro, when the astrologers said that the Savior of Israel is going to be stricken by water, and he never was, right? He was saved from the Nile, so it never came true. Oh, this is what it was talking about, right? And so even if the astrologers are correct, you only realize it after it happens. So therefore, astrology is effectively um, not useful. The simple reading of this pasuk is, you're asking for meat, you have 600,000 people, ragli means uh, people that walk on foot, footmen, right? How am I going to find enough uh, meat to feed all these people? But ragli can also mean because of, right? Al-regel. Um, so Moshe said, you are all saved because of me. I was the last one to be to, for the decree to apply to. And once, it, once um, I was born and put into the Nile and saved, the decree stopped. And you, everyone else that was, still, that was alive um, when Moshe was talking, were born after Moshe. So he said, you are all alive from my, because of me. I, 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 I stopped the decree so that you could not live. That day that Moshe was placed on the Nile and almost, uh, almost could have drowned, um, uh, that was the 21st of Nisan. And so the angels, they prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, 
right, this, this person who in the future, if you let him live, he will sing a song to you on this day. The right? 21st of Nisan is the seventh day of Pesach, the day on which we commemorate Kiryat Yamsuf. So now you're going to let him drown in the river, then it will, then it will never happen that he will say Shira, and there, will never, there won't be a redemption after. So that's one way that the angels convinced Hashem to have mercy. Another way, Another opinion says it was the sixth of Sivan, that Shavuot. And the angel said, all right, he who is destined to receive the Torah on this day, you're going to let him be stricken in the Nile, then he won't be alive, then he's not going to receive the Torah, right? You should save him. Uh, so, now let's do the calculation. If you say that he was placed on the Nile on the 6th of um, Sivan, well then you have exactly three months um, because we know Moshe was born, and so if you, since he was born on the seventh of Adar, so you have most of Adar is month one, and then you have Nisan, and then Iyad is the third month, and then a few more days into Sivan, right? That's uh, is exactly three months from the uh, seventh of Adar until the sixth of Sivan. So then that's perfect. That works out to be three months. But if it was on the 21st, well then that's, that's less than two months from the seventh of Nisan till the 21st, from the seventh of Adar to the 21st of Nisan. And the answer is, it was a, there was a Nadar Bet that year, so you have the 7th of Adar, Rishon, so that's a majority of a month, we'll call that a month. You have Adar Bet, that's a whole month, and then you have a most of Nisan, so even though it's only most of, we'll call it a full month, and so we call that three months, even though it was shy a couple of weeks on each side. And so the sister um, uh, told Bat Paro, should I go and call for you a, a woman who will uh, nurse from the, uh, from the Hebrews? Now, why from the Hebrews? Um, why not get an Egyptian woman? I mean, it would make sense. There's more, a lot of Egyptian women. Why, wh- wh- how, what kind of uh, reason, reasoning would the sister say that I'm going to go call a Hebrew nursemaid specifically? So the answer is they tried, right? And went to all the Egyptian women. And uh, the, and baby Moshe would not nurse from them. He said, "This mouth that is going to speak with the Shechina should um, should uh, nurse from uh, uh, from a Tameh from uh, some from an Egyptian woman." Right, who can teach knowledge? And the rest of the pasuk from Yeshaya says, "For those weaned from milk." Right, that uh, wean that took away atik, atik, that they separated from uh, nursing from Gentile women. So the Bat Paro tells the, uh, the, the sister, um, yes, go uh, and find the, uh, and find the, and go get, go get a nurse, a nurse woman. And it says, Alma. So it calls Miriam an Alma. Now she was just a little girl. Alma, Alma means a maiden, a, a young woman. It means that she went with uh, quick, quickly with strength, like a young woman would, not like a small child. Another interpretation, Alma means she hid her words. She didn't tell Bat Paro the full truth, that she's actually going to bring the baby's mother 
And so that's why Alma. So uh, Bat Paro tells the mother, right? Take literally this child. But you can separate into two words. This child is really yours. Now she is like a Bat Paro, is like a prophetess, even though she doesn't realize she's, say, she's, prophet, she's saying something true, right? But um, uh, it was true without her even realizing what she was saying. Um, as an, and then the Bat Paro says, and I will pay you for it. So the Bihama says, not, not only do Sadiqim get returned to them what is theirs, they even get paid for it. Right? An amazing thing that Yochev is going to nurse her own child, and not only is her child saved, but she even gets now paid for nursing her own child. Now, since we're talking about Miriam, we're going to skip till much later when it says that Miriam, then the prophetess, the sister of Aharon. Why is it called her the sister of Aharon and uh, not the sister of Moshe? Right? Why not relate her to Aharon and Moshe? And in fact, this is right after the Shiratayam when Moshe is singing and says Miriam also sang. So it would make some sense to say, oh, she was the sister of Moshe. Moshe sang a song, and then she also sang her song. Why not call, why not relate her to Moshe? Amar Rav Amram, Amar Rav, Amrila, Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rav, This teaches that she was already a prophetess when she was a little girl, and she was only the sister of Aharon, meaning before Moshe was even born. She was already saying, um, uh, prophecies. What was the prophecy she said as a little girl? She said, I know my mother is going to give birth to a child that's going to redeem Israel. And as soon as Moshe was born, the whole house was full of light. You see, this, both of these are referring to the previous um, uh, uh, Midrashim, one about the mother, about Midyam giving the father advice, right? Get married again. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. Your decree is worse. And, uh, the house being full of light, Kitov. When the child was born, uh, the father kissed Miriam on the head and said, My daughter, look, your prophecy has been fulfilled. And sure enough, Yocheved was so old, we didn't think that she was going to be have a child, and we divorced and all that, and look, now she has a child. Right? I think you're onto something. But then, right, when they couldn't hide him anymore, and they put him into the Nile, and it looked bleak. Didn't look like he was going to survive. So then the father biffed his daughter on the head and said, "Hey, daughter, what happened to your what happened to your prophecy? Yeah, I had a boy, but now he's going to be killed." And that's why when it says that her the sister Moshe's sister. Um, was standing from far to know what was going on. Why from far? Why not stand close by to see what will happen to it? To it means what will happen to the end of the nevuah. In other words, she said, I'm not going to look at the short term. I have to look at the long term. Even though it seems in the short term, he's in the Nile, going to go to Bat Paro, it's going to be bad. But she says she believed, she trusted in that prophecy and said, one way or another, we have to look at the end game and it's all going to work out well. And that's a good place to end. We'll see more of this Agada continuing tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.